If you would go in your Bible to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4, we're going to continue where we were last week. We are looking at the third cycle in the book of Judges. Vamos a continuar donde dejamos nuestro estudio la semana pasada, viendo el tercer ciclo del de libro de jueces. We see in Judges seven cycles of apostasy. And we have been studying the pattern that God has set for getting out of the cycle. Hemos estado estudiando los ciclos de la apostasía de la nación de Israel viendo cuáles son los principios que Dios tiene para salir de los ciclos en nuestras vidas que nos tienen atados y para que el pueblo del Señor pueda caminar en total libertad. Jueces capítulo 4, Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Now Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, the Kedesh Nephili, and said to him, Behold the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Nephtali, from the sons of Zebulun. And I shall draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops in the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Nephthali together to Kadesh. Ten thousand men went up with him, and Deborah went also up with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray tonight that you would speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That you would encourage our hearts to pursue the purpose and will of God. And I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach and teach the word of God. That you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. That they might hear the word and receive it with gladness. I pray this in Jesus' name. The church said, Amen. Amen. If you are not aware, we are in the third week of our 21 days of agreement. Uh, days of a season of prayer and fasting. Si usted no uh, se ha dado cuenta, estamos en la tercera semana de nuestros 21 días de uh, acuerdo en cual hemos entrado a ayuno y oración. Y uh, yo le quiero invitar, si usted no ha sido parte de esto, a que sea parte en, uh, en los últimos días de este ayuno. If you haven't been a part of that, I'd like to encourage you to be a part of our corporate fast in the next few days. We'll be fasting till Sunday. Vamos a estar ayunando hasta el día domingo. 
Um, you pray to the Lord, ask him how much, how long he wants you to fast. He may uh, direct you one way and direct somebody else a different way. But you, uh, you do what the Lord uh, leads you to do and uh, spend time in prayer and in seeking God for direction in this year. How many of you have uh, enjoyed this season so far? God has been speaking. I know he has. It's funny, sometimes God doesn't speak during a fast. Sometimes he speaks right after sober. So you just kind of have to hang in there and wait on him. But uh, you uh, do what he's asked you to do. I was, uh, the, last, the last time we had a fast, we did a 21-day shift. How many of you remember that? And uh, at the door, a, a man who was visiting, he asked me, he said, Pastor Isaac, how do, how do I fast? I said, well, I don't know um, what, what the Lord will lead you to do. I said, I fast midnight to six most days. And, uh, but you pray about it and ask the Lord what he wants you to do. He said, no, the Lord's not going to tell me that. And uh, he just, uh, just decided that wasn't for him. But uh, you, you give that time to the Lord, and he'll use it. Amen? Uh, let's say that again. Use it, give that time to the Lord, and he'll use it. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we are discussing the third cycle in the book of Judges. Estamos hablando del tercer ciclo en el libro de jueces. I asked you a question last week. What did we learn from history? Nothing. Right? Uh, that's the sad cycle of human history. Les hice la pregunta la semana pasada. ¿Qué aprendemos de la historia? Y la respuesta tristemente es que no aprendemos de la historia. The Bible says, and again, the nation of Israel sinned against God. Dice el libro de jueces, capítulo 4, verso 1, que... De nuevo el pueblo de Israel pecó contra Jehová. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Hicieron lo que estaba, lo que era malo en la, en la presencia del Señor. Y el Señor los vendió a, el, a un enemigo. Uh, the Lord sold them to, a, to an enemy, to Jabin, whose name means the one God sees. Los vendió a un enemigo y luego ese enemigo tenía un general. Este general era muy cruel y muy poderoso y él vino contra Israel y por 18 años los tuvo en este en este lugar de uh, de captividad he had them Sisera the general of Jabin's army was a cruel general and he had Israel under his hand for 18 years and I shared with you how God used a woman named Deborah to be a voice to the nation of Israel and she went to a passive man named Barak. Uh, Deborah fue a un hombre llamado Barak, un hombre que era pasivo. And it would seem that the men of Israel at this time were passive men. Y parece ser que los hombres de Israel en este tiempo eran pasivos. They had just become content with where things were. And uh, content or, or they had, they had uh, bought into the idea that things would never be any better. Los varones en Israel parece ser habían adoptado la idea que las cosas nunca iban a cambiar y eran pasivos. Entonces Jehová envía a una mujer con palabra de Dios y ella le dice a Barak, le dice, no te ha dicho Jehová. And so Deborah comes to Barak and asks the question, has not God said to you? And literally she is confirming to him what God had already spoken to his heart. Ella está confirmando lo que Dios ya había hablado a su corazón. 
And he just needed a little push, it seems like. Parece ser que Barak necesitaba alguien que lo motivara a tomar ese, ese lugar, a tomar ese esfuerzo. And so we see Barak go from <coughs> being a passive man to being a maturing man. Y vemos que Barak comienza a ir en un, en un curso de tiempo de un hombre pasivo a ser un hombre que está madurando. And this is our goal in, in the Christian life is to be a maturing believer. Nuestro deseo en la vida cristiana es de ser un un hombre, una, una mujer que está madurando, que está creciendo, que está aprendiendo. Someone who is learning and growing and maturing. And of course, the message the Lord gave us on Sunday morning just fit right into that, didn't it? Uh, God is calling us to be men. Dios nos está llamando a ser maduros. El mensaje del domingo en la mañana nos llegó uh, en medio de este, de este estudio a buen tiempo en cual Dios está llamando su pueblo a la madurez espiritual. So we're going to start where we left off last time and I want you to go back to 1 John. Vamos a ir a Primera de Juan, capítulo 2, verso 13. 1 John, chapter 2. And I ask you to forgive me. I have been fighting off this, uh, whatever it is. <coughs> last three days but I'm, I think I'm about done 1st John chapter 2 verse 13 Primera de Juan capítulo 2 verso 13 let's read verse 12 for context verso 12 dice I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I pointed out to you last week that there are three stages of maturity that the Apostle John points out. Juan aquí nos da tres pasos a la madurez. And I want you to underline them if, you're, if you have your Bible there. Underline the word children. Puedes subrayar ahí la palabra niños. También él habla a los jóvenes. He speaks to the young man. Underline the word young men. And then he speaks to fathers. Y luego él habla a padres. Underline the word father. Puedes subrayar esas tres palabras. Niños, jóvenes y padres. There is in the Christian life a, a pattern or a, 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 a path of maturity. Hay, un, hay una senda en la vida cristiana a la madurez. All of us begin, when we're born again, we're born as a child. Cuando nacemos de nuevo, nacemos en un estado de niño. Jesus said that those who would come to him had to have childlike faith. Jesús habló que los que vinieran a él tenían que tener la fe como la fe de un niño. If you tell a child, I'm going to give you a million dollars, that child will believe you, right? Doesn't, doesn't ask, well, can you? How will you do that? Uh, what are you, where are you going to get this money? The child just believes 
what you tell them. Si usted le dice a un niño, te voy a dar un millón de dólares, ese niño le cree. No le pregunta, pero ¿cómo? Uh, o, 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 ¿Dónde tienes este dinero? El niño le cree. You tell a child, I'm taking you to Disneyland, that child will believe you. Si usted le dice, le voy a llevar a Disneylandia, ese niño le va a creer. Porque su fe es, uh, es uh, simple, has a simple kind of faith. And so God requires that when you and I come to him, we come with that kind of simple faith that just believes God. The kind that just says, God said he would do this in my life, and I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. Esa clase de fe que dice, si Dios dijo esto, yo le voy a creer. Yo voy a poner mi confianza en él. No tengo que ver cómo le va a hacer, cuándo lo va a hacer. Solo tengo que creerle a él. That childlike faith that says, if God said it, that's enough for me. I believe God. Anybody in here have that kind of faith? Alguien aquí tiene esa fe? That simple faith. And we get caught up when we lose the capacity to have childlike faith. Cuando perdemos la capacidad de tener la fe de un niño, la fe um, de un niño hacia Dios, perdemos muchas veces uh, nuestro, nuestro, la momentía de nuestro crecimiento. We lose the momentum of growth when we stop believing God. I told you on Sunday what produces growth. Spiritual growth is produced by faith. La fe, uh, la madurez cristiana crece por medio de la fe. The more you are actively walking in faith, the more you're going to grow spiritually. Si usted está caminando por fe, usted va a crecer espiritualmente. Pero si usted no está caminando en fe, no va a crecer. If you're not walking in faith, you're not going to see any spiritual maturity. And let me just tell you this. What's the use of studying the Bible if, you don't, if you're not going to believe it? ¿Cuál es el uso de estudiar la Biblia si no la va a creer? La fe viene y toma lo que ya está ahí y, y activa nuestra vida hacia ella. The, the, our faith, when it's united with the word, is a powerful con, com, combination. The, the book of Hebrews talks about the nation of Israel. They were in the wilderness 40 years. You remember them? En 40 años, el pueblo del Señor estuvo en Israel, uh, perdón, el pueblo de Israel estuvo en el desierto. You know why they didn't go in? ¿Sabe usted por qué no entraron? Dice el libro de Hebreos, porque no mezclaron lo que sabían con la fe. Hebrews tells us why they didn't go in. It says because they did not mix what they knew with faith. They knew a lot, didn't they? They knew that God could bring Egypt to its knees. They knew that God could split the Red Sea. They knew that God could provide a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. They understood that God could provide manna in the wilderness. They knew God could bring water out of a rock. They knew that God could do some extraordinary works, but they never mixed what they knew with faith. And so as long as they were unwilling to believe God, no matter what they knew about him, they could not enter in to the promised land. Este pueblo nunca mezcló lo que sabía con la fe. Sabían que Dios podía traer a Egipto a sus rodillas. Sabían que Dios podía partir el Mar Rojo. Sabían que Dios pro podía proveer mana en el desierto. Sabían que Jehová podía pro proveer pilar de fuego y columna de nube. Pero aún así, aunque sabían todo eso, nunca le creyeron a Dios. Y porque no le creyeron, no pudieron entrar. Because they refused to believe God, they were unable to enter in to the promise of God. You and I are not going to be that generation, right? Say amen. 
All right. Now, there is a next step. Say, Pastor, take me to the next step. All right, that's what I'm trying to do. So let's just, let's go for it. Okay, vamos a ir al segundo paso. This next step is the, the step of a young man. El siguiente paso es el paso de un joven. Now, the young man, really, what we're talking about there is a son. Cuando hablamos de un joven, estamos hablando de un hijo. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about what it means to be a son or a daughter? We're going to use the word son because uh, the Bible speaks about all of us as being sons of God, meaning we're all heirs, okay? So, ladies, I'm not leaving you out when I talk about sons, okay? Uh, if you want me to use the word daughter, I'll throw it in there, but you know what I'm referring to, okay? Um, what does it mean to be a son? ¿Ha pensado usted en esto? ¿Qué es ser un hijo? If someone becomes a father, generally they'll think about, man, I'm going to be a dad. What does that mean? And, and life starts building all kinds of definitions as to what fatherhood is. But when you're a son, it's kind of like we just assume sonship is passive. Normalmente nunca pensamos lo que es ser un hijo. Pensamos si alguien va a ser padre, comienza a pensar que es un padre. Pero cuando somos llamados hijo, es algo pasivo. Así lo vemos. Por la mayoría de las veces no pensamos cómo, voy, cómo es ser un hijo. Uh, you and I probably never have thought about that. What does it mean to be a son to my parents? What does it mean to be a son of God? ¿Qué es ser un hijo a mis padres? ¿O qué es ser un hijo a Dios? Well, I want to tell you that there is someone in the Bible who taught us what it was what it meant to be a son. Hay alguien en la Biblia que nos enseñó lo que era ser un hijo. The Bible calls him the son of God. La Biblia le llama el hijo de Dios. And if you look at Jesus, you will know what a son is. Si usted ve a Jesús, usted va a ver lo que es un hijo. Now let me just throw this at you real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go real deep with it because this is, this is a whole study on its own. We'll do it at a different time. But I just want to throw this at you. God uses sons. God does not use lone rangers. Dios usa a hijos. Dios no usa a personas que se van a solas a hacer lo que quieren. Él usa hijos. God uses sons. You, you don't, uh, you don't uh, overlook the fact that when, when the, the, the genealogies are read, it says the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. Cuando usted lee una genealogía en la Biblia, es el hijo de, el hijo de, el hijo de, el hijo de. ¿Por qué? Porque Dios usa a hijos. I'll tell you this too. Every person God has ever greatly used in the ministry has been a man or woman who was a son to somebody. Somebody who came under submission to some spiritual authority. Cualquier persona que Dios ha usado grandemente en el ministerio, usted puede contar con este hecho de que ellos han sido hijo de alguien. Han, han sido alguien que se sujetó a la autoridad espiritual de una, de una uh, persona que Dios llamó. So, are you a son? Then if you're a son, you need to ask, what does it mean to be a son? Si usted es hijo, entonces usted debe preguntar, ¿qué es ser hijo? 
¿Qué significa ser hijo? I'll give you an example. John chapter 4. Jesus said, it is my food. Good time to hear about that when we're fasting, right? He said, it is my food to do the will of him who sent me. Jesús dijo en Juan 4, es mi comida hacer la voluntad de el que me envió. You realize when Jesus said that, he was showing us what a son is. He was showing us that a son is a person who loves to do the will of the father. Jesús nos enseña ahí que un hijo es aquel que le encanta hacer la voluntad del padre. To be a son is to do the father's will. Ser hijo es ser uno que, que hace la voluntad del Padre. Uno que hace la voluntad de Dios. I give you some examples here. For instance, uh, you can look at the prodigal son. The father had two sons, remember? El padre en, en la parábola tenía dos hijos. Uno de ellos, uno de ellos se fue de la casa. El otro de, de ellos se quedó en la casa. Pero ninguno de los dos tenía el corazón de su padre. Estaban los dos perdidos. Aunque eran hijos, pero no tenían el corazón de un hijo. El hijo dice, yo quiero hacer la voluntad de mi padre. Yo quiero hacer lo que él me creó para hacer. A son understands, I want to do the will of my father. Another thing Jesus said, he said, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. Jesús dijo, yo no hago nada sin que yo vea que mi padre lo hace y no digo nada sin que yo vea oiga que mi padre lo diga él estaba encantado con hacer la voluntad de su padre Jesus would say I, I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it he was in love with doing the will of his father and what's the result is that the, the father pours out on the son the anointing to do the work that he had been sent to do. Por causa de esto, el padre pone sobre el hijo la unción para que el hijo haga lo que Dios le ha mandado hacer. Can I just give you a secret here? If you want to have anointing over your life, you need to find where you belong as a son. Si usted quiere tener la unción, tiene que buscar el lugar donde usted es llamado hijo. Now, this is, this is new for some of you. You're kind of thinking, where's pastor going with this? Well, this is where I'm going. You want to be used by God? Let's try that again. Do you want to be used by God? Guess who God uses? Sons. God uses men and women who know how to submit to spiritual authority. Now, I'm not teaching you this because you, don't, because you have a problem with this. You all are excellent at this. But you're excellent at this sometimes because you have a, a good leader. Sometimes not so good to, it's not so easy to be a son when you have a hard leader, a harsh leader, a controlling leader, an abusive leader. When, when your king is throwing a spear at you, trying to pin you to the wall, and you still don't raise up your hand against him like David, now you know what it's like to be... A son. So I, I'm just I'm just letting you know that God uses sons. God uses people who will say, you know what? I don't know everything. I need a teacher in my life. I need somebody who can be watching over me. 
Somebody who, who can be a, a voice into my life. Can I ask you this? Can you be corrected? That's good. That's a very important question. Because if you can't be corrected, you don't have the heart of a son. ¿Se le puede corregir a usted? Porque si no se le puede corregir, usted no tiene la actitud de un hijo. Un hijo dice, corrígeme. Quiero ser mejor. Quiero entender. Quiero aprender. We have, we have, I believe, we could call spiritual fathers in this church. And um, I'll, I'll point out two of them to you. Uh, Elder Martinez and Elder Schweitzer are spiritual fathers. But you know why they're spiritual fathers? Because they knew how to be sons. And and wherever you find somebody that uh, that's not willing to learn from somebody else. Get away from there. Get away from there. It's danger. He said to the young men, you are strong. You've arrived at a level of maturity where you are strong. And the word abides in you. The word abides in you because you're able to receive it. When, when the word comes, it's correcting at times, encouraging at times. It is disciplining at times. But when it comes, you endure it, you abide in it. And a son has to learn how to abide. How to learn how to, how to be shaped and molded by his father. And when, when you and I come to that place where we're able to find our place with God and say, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I am confident in you. Even if you take me down a difficult path, I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait on you. You have arrived at a place of sonship. Jesus went to the cross, didn't he? He went to the very most bitter place, but he had his confidence in the fact that his father was, was in control of everything, that his father was guiding his steps. And so I want to encourage you to continue to walk in that attitude of sonship. Continúa caminando en esa actitud de hijo. Barak does this when he says to Deborah, if you go, I'll go. He's literally saying to her, you have God's voice and God's word on this. And, and instead of me bickering and complaining about you're a woman and I'm a man and I'm in charge and this and that, I'm just going to submit to how God is doing things right now and I'm going to follow the lead. And when he does that, he is now taking his place because he's saying, you know what, I can learn. I can be, I can be the man that God called me to be. And I told you last week, the reason Deborah was there was because the men hadn't been willing to stand up. They had been passive. But now God is starting to stir them up. And then we come to that third level. That's the level of fathers. Luego llevamos al tercer nivel. Y es el nivel de padres. Esa es la madurez espiritual. Spiritual maturity. When you, when you, are, when you are, have arrived at that place of maturity with God. Cuando usted ha llegado a ese lugar de madurez. Donde usted puede ser una, una voz a alguien más. Donde usted puede ser una guía a alguien más. Usted ya está logrando algo increíble. When you arrive at that place where now you can be a leader and a guide to somebody else and teach them the truth, you have arrived at a great place. So just let me encourage you this afternoon in telling you that we need to go on to maturity. You, where, if you're a child right now, go on to young adulthood. And if you're a young man spiritually, 
Go on to fatherhood. Go on to the next level. Si usted es niño espiritualmente, busque la madurez. Vaya a otro nivel, a un nivel más alto. Y si usted ya está ahí, entonces busque otro nivel. Que usted pueda ser una persona que puede ser corregida, que puede ser enseñada. Ustedes muestran eso al estar aquí esta noche. You are demonstrating that at being here tonight. And I want to congratulate you. Can I congratulate you on something? I know this month has been rough at church, right? It has been, uh, pastors been cutting away at the fat all over the place. And you say, man, this, maybe this year has been hard. But what do you think is in store? If God comes in with a surgeon's scalpel and just starts cutting things away all of a sudden, it's because he's going to bring something new, something greater. He's taking us somewhere that we haven't been before. Come on, somebody. So we have to be willing and ready to just take it. Learn from it, build on it, and move forward. All right. Now the scripture tells us that she said to him, go back to Judges chapter 4. Judges 4, we read it and we'll read it again. Verse 6, Judges 4, 6. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, Nephtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men for sons of Nephtali and from the sons of Zebulun. Say with me, go. She tells him, you need to go. Now here's... Here's the next important part for where we're going here. If you're going to break any cycle in your life, you have to be willing to pursue what God has put in front of you. Let me tell you this, church. You cannot possess what you will not pursue. Say that with me. I cannot possess what I will not pursue. Diga conmigo, yo no puedo tener... Lo que yo no puedo perseguir. Si usted no está dispuesto a perseguir, a, a ir a tomar lo que Dios le ha dado, ha prometido, usted no lo va a tomar. The promised land will sit there for 40 years until somebody pursues. La tierra prometida ahí va a estar hasta que alguien la tome. You see, we have gotten this bad theology in the church that we think, I'm just going to sit here on my front porch and God's going to drop a blessing on my lap. Tenemos una teología equivocada. Pensamos, aquí me voy a sentar en, 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 en el portal de mi casa tomando lemonade y el Señor me va a venir a dejar caer la bendición en, el, en, el, en los pies. Pero cuando vemos que la madurez no es así. Now notice this. Note esto. The nation of Israel that never matured, they got manna every day. The 40 years in the wilderness... They refused to mature. They got manna in their hand. All they had to do was walk out in the morning and, and get and catch it. But the mature crowd had to go into the promised land. And the moment they went into the promised land, the Bible says the manna ceased. 
And now they had to go and eat old corn, which means they had to grow corn, and they had to harvest it, and they had to grind it. They had to go through all the process of reaping the benefits of it because now God was saying to them, you're a mature generation. You can handle this. I don't have to feed it to you in your hand. Now, I ra- I, I'm sure manna tastes good, all right, but I would rather have vineyards I didn't plant and wells I didn't dig and houses I didn't build. I would rather go and possess more than a tent in the wilderness. Me imagino que el maná aprobaba muy bien, pero no como tener casa y viñar y labores y cosas que Dios había provisto al pueblo, pero que ellos tuvieron que entrar y tomar. Tuvieron que entrar y tomar. They have to pursue it. This enemy is going to oppress Israel until Barak goes to pursue. And we have been hearing this from the Lord, haven't we, the last year. He said to us, I will bless what you, come on, you know what, I will bless what you do. Let's try it together. God will bless what I do, not what I plan to do, not what I would like to do. Dios bendicerá lo que yo haga. Dice el Salmo 1, y todo lo que él hace prosperará. No dice que Jehová va a prosperar lo que pensamos hacer. Quisiera hacer, a ver si acaso lo hago. No, él bendice lo que hacemos. God will bless what you do. So you might sit there and say, well, someday the Lord's going to let me lead somebody to Christ. But if you get up and go and talk to somebody about Christ, you have a better chance of leading somebody to Christ, don't you? Si usted ahí está sentado diciendo, a ver si un día el Señor me da el privilegio de guiar a alguien a los pies del Señor. Usted ahí va a estar sentado mucho tiempo. Pero si usted dice, yo le voy a platicar a alguien de Cristo y se dicen que sí, que sí, que no, está bien, pero yo le voy a dar el mensaje. Ahora usted está haciendo algo para que Dios lo bendiga. Si usted se queda con lo que, ese sueño que Dios le ha dado, ahí se va a quedar soñando. If, if, if you just keep dreaming about it and never act on it, you are never going to have more than a dream. And this is, this is something the Lord has been hammering away at us over and over again. And guess what? He's going to keep doing it until we do something. He's going to keep doing it until you do something. Some of you has put an idea for business in your heart, in your mind. Some kind of business that's going to bless the kingdom. And as long as you're just sitting there waiting, it's going to sit there waiting with you. Algunos quizás el Señor le ha dado una idea para un negocio que va a bendecir al reino. Y mientras usted lo sueña, ahí se va a quedar el sueño. Pero si usted se levanta a hacerlo, Dios va a bendecir lo que usted hace. If you want to have a, 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 a if you want to have a college degree, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to pursue it. I've never met somebody that had a doctorate dropped on them. Wow. I woke up this morning with a PhD. Jamás me he encontrado con alguien que amaneció siendo doctor. Mira lo que me pasó. Desperté y era doctor. No, si usted quiere un doctorado, lo tiene que perseguir. If you want a PhD, you have to pursue it. If you want, a, if you want financial 
prosperity, you have to pursue it. You want to be debt free, you have to pursue it. Si usted quiere ser libre de deudas, tiene que perseguir eso. Ponerse en acción, tomar por lo menos un paso. At least take one step toward that thing. So that you can have something God will bless. Para que usted tenga algo que Dios pueda bendecir. Some, some of you in here, um, uh, years ago you had a dream of going to Bible school. And then some of you took the first step. And then the next step. Where's Brother Chano? Is he in here? He stepped out. He's teaching. Yeah, see, he's teaching. So uh, he, already, he already finishes three years, one step at a time. So guess what? We have enrollment in August, all right? Just you have to pursue. What has God put in your heart? For Barack, it was destroy this ar army that's destroying me. Take down this enemy. Para, para Barak, el sueño, la visión era de destruir ese enemigo que estaba destruyendo a, a Israel y él tenía que perseguirlo. You know what I believe? They were under a captivity for 18 years. That captivity would have been over in 18 days or 18 minutes if somebody had pursued the enemy. But as long as they were unwilling to move, You see, here's the principle. God moves with you. You take a step, he takes a step. Come on, somebody. I want to get you out of that pattern of just waiting. Because we're going to be waiting a long time. Oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord, Pastor. No, the Lord's waiting on you. No, Pastor, que yo estoy esperando en Dios. No, Dios lo está esperando usted. Que active su fe. Una persona pasiva nunca tendrá terreno nuevo. A passive person will never have new ground. But someone who activates their faith and says, if God called me to this, God put this on my heart, God has put the, the opportunity before me, I'm going to pursue. And in that pursue, there's going to be victory. So let's look at what happens. Vamos a ver lo que, lo que ocurrió. The scripture tells us, I'm going to have to also summarize some of this. Verse 12. Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots. Now listen, Sisera, the enemy, has 900 chariots, and Israel has 10,000 soldiers. But 10,000 chariots, of 10,000 soldiers against 900 chariots, do not have a strategic advantage. A, an iron chariot is like going up against a tank. So Sisera has the power. El enemigo de Israel tiene 900 carros de a caballo, hechos de hierro. Y el pueblo de Israel tiene 10,000 soldados, pero los 10,000 contra estos carros de a caballo no son nada para comparar a la fuerza. So those iron chariots were Sisera's pride. El orgullo del de enemigo de Israel es esos carros de a caballo y de, de hierro. And this is what the Bible says. Now, you, you can read the rest of chapter 4 and go on to chapter 5 
and this after, this uh, week when you're reading. But I want you to notice this. Uh, go to chapter five. Go to chapter five. Verse, verse 1, it says, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying. Now, they're going to sing the song, and chapter 5 is going to tell us what happened in this battle from the perspective of God. Chapter 4 tells us from the perspective of Israel, but chapter 5 from the perspective of God. It says, at the, le- as, at, at the leaders led in Israel, that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. Hear, O king, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord and the God of Israel. The Lord, when when went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, and the earth quaked, and the heavens also dripped, and the clouds dripped water, and the mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord, this Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now listen. The, the Bible literally tells us that when Barak took off, when he, when he went out to this battle, that these things happened. The earth quaked, the earth began to drip rain, it began to rain, and that there was a, a, a shifting in the environment of the nation of Israel that was about to aid Israel in this battle. Here's what happened. Those chariots of iron came out to meet Barak and his army. And Sisera is thinking, I'm going to mow these guys down, and they will be so broken, they won't want to stand up again for another 18 years. El enemigo de Israel está pensando, con estos 900, lo voy a salir a encontrar a estos 10,000, los voy a cortar como el césped, y van a quedar derrotados. But what, we, what he wasn't counting on was that the Lord got up to fight this battle alongside of Barak. Lo que él no había contado es que Jehová se levantó para, para um, ir a la guerra al lado de Barak. Here's what happened. The scripture says that over, over up in the mountains, there started to come a, a torrent of water. Comenzó a bajar una torrente de agua. It, it doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but most likely up in the mountains, it started pouring down rain. Allá en las montañas comenzó a llover y la lluvia comenzó a bajar por el río. It started to rain up in the mountains. The water started coming down the river. And there are the chariots ready for battle. And all of a sudden, those chariots start sinking. De repente, los carros de, de hierro comienzan a... a hundirse en el lodo now what good is a chariot if it's stuck in the mud ahora que es un carro de caballo y hierro si está en el lodo All Barak had to do was say, I need 10,000 men, let's go. And God started working on his end. Jehová comenzó a trabajar a favor de Barak. And now you have 10,000 against 900 charioteers. God can switch the odds on the devil real quick. Ahora son 10,000 contra 900. And the Bible said they got on foot and started running. Comenzaron a huir a pie. ¿Por qué? Porque ahora tenían 10 contra 1. Now they were 10 on 1. 
You see, when you were out there alone and you were fighting the devil, you were on your own and you were getting beat. But then one day you went back home from church and you had the Holy Ghost on the inside and you had just outnumbered the devil. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about there is victory. Usted un día estaba peleando el diablo una a una y lo tenía el diablo bien derrotado. Pero llegó de la iglesia un día salvo y lleno del Espíritu Santo. Y ahora usted tiene la fuerza. The scripture says that the nation of Israel, the 10,000, pursued until the last man. Now listen, if you're going to pursue, don't do no halfway pursuit. Don't do no two-thirds pursuit. Si usted va a perseguir al enemigo, dice que persiguieron hasta el último hombre. Si usted va a perseguir, no persiga a medias. O a dos, a dos cuartos de esfuerzo. Si va a perseguir, persiga para ganar. If you're going to fight, fight to win, church. Sunday night, the Lord told us there is no substitute for victory. And then enough with, with, with settling the score with the devil and saying, okay, you can have that, I'll have this, you have that room, I'll have this room. No, you decide, I'm going to win, this is all mine, it belongs to me, the battle is mine, in the name of the Lord. Usted decidase. Dijo, dijo uno, once somebody said in the days of Martin Luther, you must first decide if you're going to fight or not. And then once you have decided to fight, you must decide to win. The reason they are in this problem is because they were playing halves with God. And you and I know better than that, don't we? We're mature enough to know that it's an all or nothing proposition. And so if you're going to pursue, pursue until you have obtained all that God promised you. Now, here's what happened. I'm just going to sum this up with Brother Josh can come. Scripture says that Sisera got away on foot. This is the cruel military leader. El, el, el general se fue a pie y Barak lo persiguió. Barak pursued him. He said he's not going to get away. He made up his mind. This is going to be all done today. This thing is over. You know what? He's thinking like a man now, not like a child. Porque ahora está pensando como un hombre maduro, no como un niño. A child would think, as long as I get him out of my yard. But a man says, if that, if that general lives, he's likely to come back and persecute my children. So I'm going to deal with him today. And he goes and pursues he goes and pursues Sisera, and Sisera goes and hides in the tent of jail. He didn't go to jail. He went to hide in the tent of jail. That's a woman named Jail. El general va y se esconde en la tienda de una mujer. Y llega bien suavecito. Dice, mira, es que uh, quería ver si me podía quedar aquí un tiempecito. Uh, I wanted to see if I could stay here a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of thirsty. You have any water? Y aquella mujer lo, lo recibe. A veces el enemigo se le va a venir a la, a la misma puerta. Pero usted determínese. Aquí mueres. Aquí se te acaba la corrida. Mayor es el que está en mí que el que está en el mundo. 
¿Qué amistad tienen las tinieblas con la luz? Y dice que esta mujer era muy sabia. Ahora, ¿por qué pasó esto? Jehová le dio la honra a ella porque Barak no quiso. Y ella, siendo muy sabia, dice, uh, no le voy a dar agua, le voy a dar lechecita. Y le dio leche al general y se quedó bien dormido. No lo puede oír roncando al general. Sister, uh, a jail said to Sister, you know, come on in. I won't give you water. I'm going to give you some warm milk. Yeah, and that general fell fast asleep. He started snoring. In jail, the Bible says she went and she took a tent peg. Remember the firm peg in a firm place? Ella fue y tomó una estaca. I don't know what a woman needs a tent peg for. But history tells us that setting up a tent was woman's work. So she just used what she was familiar with. I know you don't think about it now, but that's, that was woman's work at the time. Ella fue y toma una estaca, and while he is sleeping, she takes a mallet, and she takes that peg, and just drives it through his temple. Somebody said he was between Barack and a hard place. <laughs> Tomó esa estaca y lo clavó al piso. Y ahí se terminó la época de ese ciclo. Y dice la palabra que la tierra descansó por 40 años. That cycle ended that day and the Bible said that the land rested for 40 years. All right, I'm going to give you another chance now. I like this. What do you see? What do you see in 40 years? ¿Qué ve usted en 40 años? Are you getting a clearer picture now? You see what you do today, you will reap tomorrow. Lo que usted hace hoy, usted lo va a cosechar mañana. ¿Qué ve usted en 40 años? Maybe you're young and you say, Pastor, in 40 years I see myself preaching the gospel. Maybe you say, I see my children. Graduating from college and, and preaching the gospel and being missionaries and being stable in their church and in their home. What do you see? Maybe you see, I see my family being debt free. I see us walking in the prosperity of God. What do you see when you look at the 40 years? You say, well, if maybe if Jesus comes tomorrow, if he does, we'll go on with him. But if he tarries, friend, you and I have to see there is still more for us to do. And maybe you say, I'm already in my old age, but in my but I see that I'm leaving behind a legacy of faith, that I'm leaving behind a foundation for somebody else to build upon. Come on, do it like this real quick. ¿Qué mira usted en su futuro? Get it in your sight. 
Get it in your faith vision. Why? Because you have to pursue it. Give me those things. Persíguelo. Persíguelo. Pursue it. I said pursue it. Pursue it. Pursue it. Pursue it. Pursue it. Persíguelo. Is there anybody in here willing to pursue?